0: It's no secret that the U.S. government has ramped up measures to counter what it sees as threats from China in a major way under President Donald Trump, especially this year. At times, it seems like everything happened overnight. The government is looking at U.S.-China trade, Hong Kong, internet cables, social media apps like WeChat and TikTok, and Chinese students in the United States. It's also using some traditional tactics like export controls and sanctions. The driving force behind all of this, according to the administration? National security. And a lot of this is playing out at the intersection of business and national security. As we've seen this year, the government has a diverse set of tools in its toolbox. And it's not just limited to the executive branch. Some tools are sweeping, but others go at the problem with the scalpel. To better understand this toolbox, I spoke with Ajay Kuntamukula. Before joining Hogan Lovells in D.C., he was a senior advisor to the Undersecretary of Commerce for Industry and Security. So when and how did national security move into the forefront of rhetoric and policy surrounding China? National security has been at
1: the forefront uh, of policy with regard to China for some time, and certainly it has intensified over the last several years. But if you look back, even to the Obama administration, there was significant concern about Chinese acquisition of strategic technology. In in fact, during the Obama administration, is when you had uh, China in May 2015 announce its Made in China 2025 policy, which signaled a policy shift by China towards higher tech production and an intent to dominate certain key technology industries including artificial intelligence and robotics and green energy and vehicles aerospace there were a number of these areas that china um, wanted to become much more prominent in um and then you and then in the trump administration certainly um it shifted i would say into high gear uh with the trump administration taking uh, a much more aggressive approach to uh, to uh to china including um really expansive use of export controls and now even sanctions authorities. Uh, I, I think the view of nat- what is national security has become much more expansive in recent years. Um, I think the Trump administration has very much combined an economic security, uh, has combined the concept of economic security with, with national security, with issues such as intellectual property rights um, and uh and, um, uh, you know, in, imports into the United States, um, uh, all of those types of issues becoming, you know, national security issues, the competition in, in uh, with regard to 5G technology, and now we see uh, U.S. concerns about uh, Chinese social media apps, um, you know, becoming a national security issue. So I think... What is considered national security has, has certainly um, been quite expansive. And I think the uh, current administration, as well as I think many in Congress, I think this is a bipartisan issue, not a uh, you know, party-type issue. Um, I think both parties would say that Chinese emergence as a you know, major technology power, not just a military power, but a major economic power and a major technology power is a threat to the United States.
0: China is one of the largest economies in the world now. So under this new definition of national security, is there a way for China to rise without posing a national security threat to the United States? I,
1: I think, um, I, you know, if you if you look at the administration, what the administration has articulated, um, they, they will say that, that they don't uh they don't oppose the the rise of china as a developed you know as a developed country a china that that increases the um its gdp and provides a, a good life for its people i think that's something uh I, most people would say is a good thing i think what uh the united states is concerned about is the use of that economic power uh and the use of that uh, te- technological advancements to uh, do things that are that are contrary to US interests including you know uh, including uh, advancing at the expense of other countries advancing in a way that involves you know that involves the acquisition of strategic technologies from the US in, in a manner that's you know potentially unlawful or that involves intellectual property theft um, using diversion, to and, and using using students at universities. Those are the kinds of things that the US government is concerned about. That the the rise of China is, is based on it is based on an approach that we haven't seen from you know market economies or democratic governments. It's it's an approach that is aggressive. It's an approach that I think the US feels is is aggressive, is is targeted at the most leading edge technologies in the United States, and then will be used to reinforce and support an ideology that, that threatens the United States, one of a, a system that's not democratic.
0: The United States government is taking a self-proclaimed whole-of-government approach. What does this actually mean? Yes, you're absolutely
1: right that the, the, the US government, especially recently with the Trump administration, has taken a whole-of-government approach that is not just looking at or using the traditional methods um, to target, uh, to target powers such as China, uh, but really an expansive view of, of what the government can do, involving agencies that we haven't necessarily, you know, used before in, in uh, to to get at national security threats. The agencies involved include, you know, Department of Education, the FCC, um, Department of Energy, and, and certainly there are agencies that are traditionally involved in national security, from the Commerce Department to State Department, to the Defense Department, to Homeland Security, but it, it's really, it, it's really, I think, every agency looking for ways that it can, um, that it can uh, confront the threat from from uh, from China. And I would say there are kind of three main buckets, uh, certainly viewed as very important to these efforts uh, by the U.S. government. One is export controls. There are a number of agencies involved there. There's the san- sanctions regime um, with principally the Treasury Department, NOFAC involved there. And then there are these other measures um, that involve a number of different agencies. And on the export control side, you've seen the U.S. government be very, very active. And this is principally at the U.S. Commerce Department, which deals with dual-use technology. Defense technology um, is administered by the controls on defense technologies administered by the State Department. And There's already a unilateral arms embargo against China. So So the the State Department's um, international traffic and arms regulations, we don't see changes there, obviously, because it's already restricted uh, fully for China. Um, Now, when it comes to dual-use technologies, that's where we see most of the activity from the recent military end-use rule. And then you've got the license exceptions with the U.S. government withdrawing, license exception, for instance, CIV, which was a license exception that allowed... Transfers of certain national security controlled equipment or technology to civilian end users in China, where they provide a certification that they will not divert the technology or, or items that has been removed uh, for, for for China. There's been a real scrutiny on deemed exports. This is the concept of the release of technology to foreign persons in the United States. So for instance, Chinese nationals in the United States, that's deemed to be an export to China, even though it hasn't left the United States yet. Uh, And so that deemed export is facing a lot of scrutiny at universities, at companies, where license applications to authorize Chinese nationals to access um, U.S. technology is facing a lot of scrutiny. Um, we've seen emerging and foundational technologies. This was, there was a set of um, requirements that was issued under the National Defense Authorization Act uh, last year, which included the Export Control Reform Act and FIRMA. Um, those, that legislation required the Commerce Department, working with other agencies, to look at controlling or imposing controls on emerging and foundational technologies that are not currently controlled in China. Things like artificial intelligence and robotics and advanced materials and, and those kinds of things. Um, and while there's been a rule that's been issued with regard to artificial intelligence used in geospatial imagery, uh, we're still awaiting the emerging technology rules, which we understand will come soon, um, which will be iterative process, which will evolve over time, but there'll be, Apparently, a series of rules that will tighten um, what is now currently uncontrolled technology to China. That, that, so that could be very significant, um, especially in the areas of artificial intelligence. Um, will you know? Entity list uh, is a tool that's being used by the Commerce Department uh, uh, quite expansively now. There was a time when the entity list just related to um, export you know, companies, non-U.S. companies that violated export control laws or they were, were not cooperative with the Commerce Department, now the list is being used to target companies that have been alleged uh, uh, to have been involved in intellectual property theft. It's been used in human rights um, with designations in the Xinjiang province. Um, so very active on the entity list. Uh, there's a, a few rules that go to the tightening of some of the rules with regard to Huawei, Huawei's already on the enemy list, but they've tightened what's known as the Foreign Produced Direct Product Rule to prevent non-U.S. items from being sold to Huawei without a license where, for instance, U.S. technology or U.S. equipment is made to manufacture chips outside the United States by non-U.S. companies. Those chips can now, depending on the classification and some other factors, they can be controlled to they can be controlled to uh, Huawei. Um, increase in enforcement resources targeting China. Uh, we've seen the Hong Kong decertification with, with the Commerce Department suspending license exceptions that were available for Hong Kong that gave Hong Kong favorable treatment over China. That is now gone. Um, Hong Kong is treated just like China. Um, There's certainly other export control regimes like the Department of Energy when it comes to nuclear technology. and. Nuclear Regulatory Commission uh, that have become more restricted towards China. On the sanctions side, we've now seen sanctions with regard to uh, human rights issues, SDN designations with XPCC and other uh, companies and entities involved in the Xinjiang province. Um, we have seen now the first uh, you know, list of um, uh, persons in, in Hong Kong that have been designated under the Hong Kong sanctions authorities and executive order. Um, so that's significant uh, as well. Uh, and when it comes to other measures, there are a whole host of other measures. This includes the tightening of, of the CFIUS regime with regard to China. It includes the imposition of tariffs um, for national security reasons. Um, it includes the tightening of immigration and restrictions on Students or researchers coming to the United States, but also restrictions on Chinese companies applying for business visas. A lot more scrutiny on those types of uh, those types of visas. Uh, IP, intellectual property theft prosecutions. The DOJ has been very active in, in in that. And then there is the telecom supply chain executive order, which was issued in May of last year, and we've just seen now. Um, uh, we've seen some. Uh, targeting of social media from, from China um, under that authority as well as under the, the international, uh, under IEPA um, uh, as well. So, and then you've got the bulk power executive order, which, which targets Chinese uh, and other equipment from foreign adversaries that are coming in and being used in our bulk power system. So, uh, very extensive efforts by the U.S. government To confront what it sees as the threat from from China, and this won't be the end of it. Uh, We expect, uh, uh, you know, continued activity in this area with designations, enemy list designations, changes to export controls, and there may be additional executive orders. Uh, If you look at Secretary Pompeo's speech from last week that related that relates to the Clean Network um, uh, policy of the of the U.S. government. You know they're looking at all different areas uh, of 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 the internet and and technology that includes under supply you know undersea uh, internet um, cables. It includes uh, cloud computing uh, and uh, clouds providers, cloud storage providers, in addition to uh, apps on on phones. So they're looking at a range of things, and we could see more.
0: That's a lot to take in, and I'd imagine even harder to track, so I commend you. If you had to choose some of the most severe or sweeping actions, what would they be? Certainly, the
1: sanctions authorities are extremely sweeping. Whenever you designate someone as a a specially designated national, that has an enormous impact on that entity. It essentially cuts off that individual or entity from um, Western financial systems as well as Western markets. Um, U.S. persons can't do any business, any transactions or dealings with those entities directly or indirectly. U.S. financial institutions cannot. There can't be U.S. dollar transactions with those entities or individuals. And Western financial institutions like European banks will you know, typically enforce these um, restrictions even even where they don't see a direct um, you know, U.S. involvement. Even if it's not a U.S. dollar transaction, you may see... Uh, you see non-U.S. financial institutions engaging in what's known as de-risking to avoid transactions with, with SDNs because they're worried about the secondary sanctions um, authority that the U.S. government has, um, and they certainly have that authority with regard to the um, designations we've seen against China and Hong Kong, that, that non-U.S. persons can be targeted under, targeted under secondary sanctions where they're engaged in certain activities, even where there's no U.S. nexus. Where they make a material contribution to, you know, undermining, for instance, Hong Kong's, uh, you know, political autonomy. Um, so certainly, sanctions are, are sweeping. Um, I, w- I would say on the export control side, the uh, military end use end use rule is, is quite complicated um, and can be read to be fairly expansive, depending on how you know, on clarifications and how it's implemented over time by the Commerce Department. I think as of now, there are a lot of questions about its implications. Um, you know, if, if you're one of the items that are listed uh, in the appendix to the military end-use rule, the definitions of military end-use and end-user now are quite expansive. So that's that's an area, I think, of concern for for industry and, and how to operate under those rules. Um, and, and certainly the executive orders that we've seen, both with Information, communications, technology, and bulk power are quite sweeping, and I think the concern is that from industry is that we see more executive orders, more executive orders that that, that implement sweeping restrictions on entire parts of, um, you know, on on major Chinese companies um, as well as major parts of the you know Chinese economy.
0: Do you see this trend of using executive orders in this way continuing? Is there any pushback on it within the USG? <laughs> That's a good
1: question. It, it, it is certainly much more sweeping than what we've seen in the past. Um, uh, but the president has always had this authority. What, you know, it, you know, many would say that um, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act really gives broad sweeping authority to the president to restrict international transactions. The power has been used fairly carefully and deliberately. Um, I think now we're seeing a much more active use of that power to target China, and and I do think it will continue. I think the barn door is kind of open now, um, and I think it it will be it will be it will continue to be used um, because it's very tempting to use it uh, you know, for for a president. And the downside, of course, to that approach is that it really it's so sweeping and catches so many transactions that companies and countries will start to say will 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 start to restrict their business with US companies in order to avoid US jurisdiction. And so that's the danger here. Or they'll start to move away from US dollars, can have a significant impact on, on the US economy. So if the more you know, sanctions, financial sanctions are used, the more there's an incentive for China to lead efforts to move away from the U.S. dollar as the standard for, for international transactions and reserve currency. Um, we're already seeing some of that, but that will probably take some time. Um, but if the more, again, the more we use these powers, even our own allies, um, because of the unilateral use of these powers, even our own allies could start to disengage from, um, you know, U.S. customers. At the end of the day, you know, these these powers are about telling non-U.S. companies, not just U.S. companies, but non-U.S. companies, you have to pick,
0: you have to choose
1: between doing business with the United States versus doing business with the folks designate or don't like.
0: Both sound like pretty terrible options for companies, right? I mean, you either lose the largest market in the world or the second largest market in the world. Right. It's a tough choice. And, and most companies
1: would say, well, you know, we prefer to do business with the U.S., but China is such a large and enormous growing market, I think that decision is much, much more difficult for particular European companies.
0: The China Business Review Podcast is a production of the U.S.-China Business Council. You can learn more about what we do at uschina.org. Our music is by Tours. Be sure to leave us a rating and review so that other people can find us, and we'll be back soon.